The great E.M. Bounds once said, Our praying needs to be pressed and pursued with an energy that never tires, a persistency which will not be denied, and a courage that never fails. You know, my friends, if there's one thing for sure that we as Christians need to work harder at, it's praying, right? We need to be more persistent. We need to be more fervent. Well, on today's episode, we're going to be diving into James chapter 5, 13 through 18. We're going to be covering the famous passage about where James talks about the effective fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. We're going to be exploring what does he mean by that, and also this controversial passage about going before the elders and seeking them for anointing for healing. So turn to James chapter 5, and let's get into it. Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? I pray you are blessed in the Lord, that you are standing strong in your faith as you do the things that God has called you to do each and every day. Now, just to bring up to speed here on the podcast, we are covering the book of James, and we are actually two sermons left, two episodes left as we finish the book of James. And so I just pray that as you've been following along from the beginning, that the, the time that we've been having in James has been not just enriching, but it has empowered you, my friends, to be emboldened to live out your faith the way that James challenged the early church. I mean, it is so profound, the wisdom that he offers throughout the entire letter of how applicable it is for you and me today. Now, as always, you can go to standstrongministries.org. You can click on podcasts. We have three drop-down tabs, the Chronological Study of the Gospels, the Chronological Study of the Book of Acts, and then now James. And as we finish James, we will be transitioning and going into Galatians. So all that information is on the website or wherever you get the podcast. And as always, definitely encourage you guys to share this with your friends and your family. If you are part of a Bible teaching church or you know, you're at a small group or you lead a small group and you guys are looking for something to go through together or just encourage each other throughout the week, I would encourage you guys to use Stand Strong in the Word podcast as a way, as a resource to help, you know, your small group leaders or the, the teammates that you have uh, been supporting for quite some time, depending on whatever your background is or whatever the small group situation or dynamic looks like. This is a great opportunity with the notes that I provide as well for you guys to go deeper and also uh, take a look at the YouTube channel that we're putting out weekly content. Um, to combat against a lot of the wokeness or the cancel culture, teaching Christians to stand strong in opposition. And so as we here on the podcast are focusing on God's word on the YouTube channel, we take a biblical worldview perspective and we engage the culture with that truth. So having said all that, let's now bring you up to speed to where we left off last time. Now, remember, we looked at John, or excuse me, James 5 verse 12, and it was just a, a real simple uh passage here and that we took the entire episode to unpack because it's so meaningful. And the title was just keeping your word. And and this is so important because remember, like any author, particularly here at James, his outline is structured again, remember, from the Sermon on the Mount. He's very intentional of what he's setting up the reader to understand as he leads into something else. And so it's so important that here in verse 12 of James 5, he says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear, meaning do not take an oath, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, 
but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, we examined what James was getting at with this emphasis of, of above all things to the brother, the brotherhood, to the sisterhood, meaning to the family of God, that as they're to be encouraged in the midst of waiting for the return of Christ in persecution, that they are to rest assured that as they pray to the Lord, as we're going to see in 13 through 18, God will respond to their prayers. But meanwhile, as we wait for the return of Christ, that they are to be people of their word, that they're not to abuse their position as Christians, to not alter the words of God or to invoke God's name in not just a hypocritical way, but in a sacrilegious way. And so being people of your, of, of, of your word is so, so important. And so we're not, fault, we're not as Christians, remember, we, we, we learned this, we're not to falsely portray the name of God or profane his name to make it seem like we are something more than we ought to be or to be flippant about it, right? Now, this is important because now as we transition in verses 13 through 18, as we are to be people of the word, as we're not to be invoking God as a witness to us or making some type of significant statement that runs contrary to who God is, or even that we're inconsistent, right? If we, we, we bring in God, we invoke God, but yet we have no desire to uphold to what we're saying, uh, that person will be judged. So now as we, as we make sure that we restrict or refrain from contaminating God's word or bringing in any form of idolatry and that warning that he gave us, we now enter into prayer. So the more you and I are careful in what we say, my friends, we will also be careful in how we pray. And how we pray will speak to what we say. And so that is the connection here from where we left off in verse 12. And so now let's jump into verse 13 through 18, where James writes, and now the title for this episode is The Prayer of the Righteous. And this is podcast 158, The Prayer of the Righteous. Notice James says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And then notice it says here in verse 15, And the prayer of, the, of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, let me just make mention as we conclude the, the, uh, the book of James next episode, we're going to be getting into restoring Christians who have fallen away. So being people of our word, being effective in our prayer life, and how to restore people who have fallen away. Those are the last three things that James emphasizes to the early church, okay? And they all have their place. So let's go back now. Let's break this apart, verses 13 through 18, to see how we as righteous people who keep our word and who are praying to God can live our lives. Now notice the question he poses here. Is anyone among you suffering? 
I remember prior to this, he just finished up by saying, let your yes be yes, your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, in some commentaries mention people who were invoking God's name in a blasphemous way or in a flippant way. They're taking God for granted, if you will, um, to, to try to incite their righteousness when in fact they weren't. They were being judged and they were suffering as a result. So some, some context, you know, I think is true to a certain extent. Obviously, we see that in 1 Corinthians 11 when people are abusing the Lord's Supper. But I think what James is doing, because he has so much to say and so little time to say it, that he's like rapid fire. And so from that point of talking about people being condemned, um, who, who invoke God's you know, name and taking advantage of other people, um, that now he's saying, hey, are you suffering? Because the word here that he's referring to actually is suffering a misfortune. They're faced with some type of hardship or distress or even physical pain. The Greek word here is kakopatheo. And so that's why my interpretation here is not these people are suffering because they were defaming God's name and lying to other people and therefore were being punished and suffering as a result of it. Though that may be true, obviously, and that has occurred, um, that, that this is different. This is him now transitioning to kind of get a consensus as to the state of mind, the conditioning, if you will, of where the early church was. And so with him asking this question, and then therefore moving forward as though it's in the affirmative, he says, let him pray. And then he says, is anyone cheerful? That in the Greek word is ethomeo, to be encouraged, meaning to be in good spirits. Let him sing praise. And then he asks another question, is anyone among you sick? So notice this is asthaneo in Greek. It's, it implies to be weak or weary, to be faint-hearted, to be incapacitated. There is a form of illness or even the word here for sickness carries the idea of being plagued by something. So this can have different connotations to it, not just an emotional um, uh, oppression, but also mental or physical. So there could be a physical ailment, or even a mental one at this point. Now, what James does here is when he poses the question about suffering, um, about being cheerful, and about anybody among you being, who, among you being sick, notice he gives responses, let him pray let him sing and let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I do want to say something because remember, everything we're talking about is in context of prayer, okay? So we're examining our prayer lives as we're reading this passage of scripture. We all will suffer, right? We have all been cheerful. Some of us wish we were more cheerful than we are currently. I can understand that. Uh, there are times when we are sick. And, and, and or grow weary or have been plagued or feel incapacitated. And there's responses of what we need to be doing in faith, okay? And as I explain what these are, these actions or, or what I believe in, in context here are imperatives from James, we have to understand them in the context of prayer, okay? And so that's why I say examining your prayer life, where you're at as you and I look at the text right now in Scripture. But also, I also want to clarify that the passage here about anointing with oil is oftentimes taken way out of context. Now, I wish I can elaborate more and even bring in some false teachers who preach on this text and take it out of context. And it becomes a pretext, right? So it's an eisegesis, not exegetically looking at it. Here on the podcast, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, 
bring you guys proper hermeneutics. And so um, I'm going to explain uh, a little bit more about the, the true meaning contextually within the original language that James is using about anointing. And hopefully that will bring some clarification to you. Now, let's jump back to this point in which the place of swearing oaths, remember, that James affirms Christians to pray is now telling them that you are to sing praises no matter what the testing or the trial you're going through in life. Remember, a form of making an oath in verse 12 is that we don't come before God in prayer negotiating with him, okay? Negotiating with God is never the answer. So if you find yourself going to God and you're trying to negotiate, you're trying to, to you know, make a deal with him, and you're trying to see if, in, in a way, because you think about it, it, that's implying that God is going to compromise who he is, which is not, not possible. God cannot lie. God is immutable. God is an absolute perfect being. And so when we come before God, we make sure, again, we're not swearing oaths, but we're coming to him in prayer, <clears throat> no matter if we're suffering, no matter if we're cheerful, if we're in good spirits, no matter if we come to him sick. The point is, whatever you're faced with in life, you come before God. You talk to him. You sing praises to God no matter the test, the testing or the trial that you're faced with. And we come to God, notice, when going back to James 2 verse 18 and, and here in verse 15, we pray in faith. I love what Tasker writes. He says, quote, The habit of prayer should be, and indeed is, one of the most obvious features which differentiates a Christian from other people, end quote. So when we are suffering, when we are cheerful, when we are faced with a form of sickness or um, feel uh, plagued or we're just worn down, okay, physically, emotionally, mentally, it says everything about us of where we're at in our prayer life. But not only that, if you notice, uh, the word suffering here, you know, is very interesting that he starts off with this because he's appealing to the grief and the physical pain and the misfortune. Remember, he'd been talking about this from chapter one that they're going through. And he wants them to understand that God sees the pain that they're in. And I love this too because, again, this shows the pastoral heart of James. James, as a pastor, is concerned with the mental, physical, spiritual, and financial con conditions of his people. And he wants them to know that he cares, and he wants them not to lose hope while they pray. Now, at times, it may seem impossible. It may seem like God doesn't care for me that I've been abandoned or forgotten because I am suffering. I am in this distress. I'm facing this hardship and I've been asking God to deliver me and I haven't been delivered. But the Bible says not to lose hope, but let him pray. This is the first imperative, my friends, that we have to do in the midst of suffering. We have to pray. I don't know, again, with our large audience, but I can only imagine. I mean, even as I record this right now, uh, my wife and I recently, we're praying, my friends, for many of our family members who are suffering. And I wish that I could bring more hope to them or spend more time with them, but whether it be schedule or far distance away, whatever, 
but I can pray. I may not be able to see them every day. I may not be able to talk to them every day, but I can pray for them in the spirit. And you can certainly do the same. And if you're going through something, you're suffering, how are you praying right now? So the answer when in the midst of suffering is to pray. Remember, when we are going through a trial, the Bible says, uh, we're to ask God for wisdom in the midst of it. And of course here, uh, James writes, when you are cheerful, you are to give praise to God. See, that makes sense. We, we don't know what life will bring us. In times in our lives, we will face suffrage. Some of us, some horrific pain, unimaginable, unimaginable. And in those times, we are to cry out to God. And that's easy to do. In the sense that I'm so lost, I'm in so much pain, I'm God, I cry out to you, deliver me. But when things are good in our lives, do we pray like that? No. And oftentimes because we don't, there's not a need to. But what we can and should be doing, because this is an imperative in scripture, is to be giving thanks to God in those times. Lord, thank you for blessing me with fill in the blank. Thank you for providing me with this in my life. I don't want to take it for granted. I give you praise and honor for how you've carried me through something. So those are the levels. Those are the different imperatives from prayer when we're suffering to praise when we're cheerful. And then notice what happens if you're sick. Now, remember, we got to bring some clarification here because there are two schools of thought here. In one sense, there are people who argue that the word sick here is that James is only referring to physical illness. So you'll see the prosperity people, well, they'll use this passage and, and the, you know, God's anointed people are anointing, not just through literal oil in a bottle, but the anointing that they have in the spirit to lay hands on people. And if they're, you know, a cripple uh, or they're blind or whatever. And you see people like Benny Hinn and others, they do this thing on stage and people are believing that these are actual miracles taking place on stage. The other school of thought is that this is also implying, or excuse me, is mainly dealing with someone who is spiritually depressed. Now, I think it's both and, okay? And here's why. The Greek word, as I mentioned earlier, is atheneo. It means to be weak or weary. Carries the idea of being faint-hearted, to be incapacitated. There is language that's used here in this word in the Greek that's carried in the Gospels. It's referring to physical illness or disease and when this Greek word estheneo is being used in the Gospels. But here in James, there's a plagueness. There is, there is that, again, that weariness that's speaking to a spiritual aspect in the person, a mental aspect in the person. The point is, whether you are mentally depressed, spiritually faint-hearted, struggling, emotionally discarded, or emotionally drained, um, and you feel incapacitated, you feel incompetent, or there is a physical illness, or there is an oppression in your life. What, what's the imperative here? It's the third one. And that is that you are to go uh, to the elders. The Bible says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Now, let's understand what the word elders here means. Because this is another confusion that people oftentimes, when they look at the text just in English, and they literally imply it. <clears throat> Or, you know, there's a literal implication here. The Greek word is presbyteros. But it's not just referring to literal elders or overseers in a church body. 
It carries the idea of a person of authority, a teacher, a counselor. So that can mean a lot of people in your life, okay? And a lot of times people, most of the time I should say, in my years as a pastor, and we've had countless people, and praise God, they look at, they come to us for, for prayer, for anointing. But I just remind people, as I'm just, as we're going through this passage right now to all of my listeners out there, that's not to say that you only go to your local church and, and assemble the elders or a committee of elders at that church, and they're the only ones that can pray over you based on what James is saying here, because he's not saying that. You can, you can actually get with people of authority in your life, mature followers of Jesus, your parents, a grandfather, a grandmother, an older sibling, a younger sibling, a, a biblical counselor. You could be at a conference and you're, you are sick and you call many of the leaders that are running the conference to come together and to pray over you. Now, you can do that. That's notwithstanding in the text. But notice, it's not the oil. That's the other area that we have to bring some clarification. It's not the oil, because many of the prosperity, many of these fanatical people would say, it's the oil that saves you or through their anointing power that saves you. No, it's faith and prayer. It's faith in God. That's what heals the person. So when you're calling upon these elders, these mature believers in Christ to pray in faith to God over you, over the, the, the trouble that you're undergoing, the primary act for the healing is not the oil. It's the faith and prayer. Because notice in verse 15, James writes, in the prayer of faith. Notice, we'll say the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. The NIV application commentary puts it like this, the sick person should call the elders of the congregation to come to pray over him and to anoint him with oil. Proskaleimoe means to call, suggests that the situation is dire and requires measures that are somewhat extreme, end quote. So the reason why I wanted to put that forth is because they're implying in the application commentary that the situation is dire. Now, so if the situation is not dire, then do you take liberties based on this imperative to call upon the elders to anoint you and to pray over you to God for healing? No. And, and see, that's another extreme that people take. Unless this person's in a dire situation, then you take these type of steps. And I think what's so sad is there could be an abuse of that or a neglect of that. And I think mainly there is a neglect where oftentimes when somebody is going through something, very rarely do we call upon mature Christians in our life to lay hands on us and to anoint us with oil and to pray over us in faith. So I just encourage you guys, if you've ever partaken of something like that or if down, down the road, if you face some type of infirmity or sickness or something you know, overcomes you, lately I've been talking, doing a lot of interviews about depression and mental illness. And I do believe a lot of people are suffering at that level who are bona fide Christians, okay? And for whatever reason, they have this, this mental problem, this, this condition. I, I do hope and pray that more people will, will take action and more mature Christians who are seeing these people that are distressed like this, they'll come alongside them. Now, I can't answer one way or the other if healing will come. We just have to apply what we see in Scripture here and be obedient and trust the Lord. I don't know. I, I, again, that's one of those 
questions, you know, those what if things is, you know, what if this, what if that, or, you know, this case, you know, this person came for prayer and then they were healed. But yet these people who seem to have more faith than these other people, they weren't healed and they died. What's up with that? Sometimes I can't answer that. Neither can you. But we know that God is not evil. We know that God is not contradicting himself. The other thing to say too about anointing him with oil, why did James mention this in context? Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil. If you and I go back to the Old Testament, we know that oil was used to set someone apart for God's services. We see that in, in Exodus 28, verse 41. We also see that oil was used to appoint kings and priests in 2 Kings 9, verse 12. You see that with the ministry of Samuel, with Saul, David, etc. Another thing that we see in the New Testament, Luke chapter 10, verse 34, the oil was heavily used for medicinal purposes. Now, when they would rub oil, this is, is important, when the, taking the use of oil and they rub oil, it was metaphorically an act that implies a need for elders to refresh and encourage the faint-hearted. So literally speaking, when you go before elders and they rub you with oil, they anoint you with oil, it, it's implying that they're going to refresh your spirit. They're going to encourage you and lift you up. And so some can argue, my friends, that um, there's not a guarantee that this person will be physically healed, meaning like, let's say, cancer is gone immediately. doesn't mean that it hasn't happened. But I think oftentimes when people do this act, they go to elders, they get anointed from oil, and then they go back to the doctors and they get another scan and the cancer is still spreading. They're thinking, well, I followed the Bible's, you know, you know, imperative here and nothing seemed to happen. When in actual fact, uh, there is a refreshment and encouraging that is taking place with this anointing of oil. And so I, I hope we don't um, lose sight of that because I have seen and been a part of some amazing times in prayer uh, obeying this passage when sick people have come to uh, the elders and pastors of the church. And even times in my own home where people have come and we've anointed them and prayed over them. And, and later on, like I'll never forget, there was an incident with friend, one of my friends got a brain cancer and we prayed. They, they've been praying for, for a long time. He eventually passed away. Um, and you think, well, he was following the word of God here. But you know what? In those times of prayer and anointing with oil, and praying in faith to God for him, he was refreshed. He was encouraged, and so was his family. And I think that that was the answer prayer that was not overlooked by that family, but oftentimes can be overlooked by other people. So let's also keep that in mind. Furthermore, here in verse 15, it says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Okay, so this continues my argument as to what I'm pointing out, because we always just look, I shouldn't say always, but for the most part where that abuse comes, right, or a misunderstanding of the text, is we're just looking for the physical healing. And if it doesn't come, then, you know, why bother? We did what the scripture says, but the physical healing did not come. Well, notice in context, it it doesn't affirm that. The word here for save, the prayer of faith will save. Number one is, it's gotta be prayer of faith. Just because you pray doesn't mean that was an honorable prayer. So we've got to keep that in context. People come with, um, you know, a different understanding, uh, and there's a pride issue there about coming to these elders, and it's through them that you're going to be healed. Uh, That's a mistake. So if we're just genuinely looking at the text, and we come to mature Christians who are prayerful, and they're going to anoint 
you for whatever troubles that um, you're undergoing and they're praying in faith, the Bible says this will save the one who is sick. The word save means it will make them well. It will restore them literally from discouragement. So guys, the other thing that I would say that I've seen actual healing, a person may not be healed from their cancer, but they were healed from the discouragement that they were undergoing because of cancer. Meaning, and you can under, and you and I can understand this, um, I certainly have not gone through this, but I've had loved ones who have suffered with cancer and have died. I lost a brother to cancer. And in those moments, you know, leading up to knowing they're going to die at some point, right? And so there's no, um, there's no treatment. The cancer is inoperable. They have to work through the process of letting go and trusting God and having to say, say goodbye to their loved ones. And in the case of my brother, saying goodbye to his wife and his five children. And, but when you pray, the prayer of faith will save this one who is sick. It will restore this person and bring them out of discouragement. It'll bring them encouragement. And that's where the hope everlasting comes. And the Bible says, and the Lord will raise him up and, and he who has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This is important. This is the emphasis that James is making the, in the context that we cannot just focus on the physical healing and neglect these other things. Because James gives further clarification that he is addressing weary Christians who are in need of spiritual restoration. In Hebrews 12, verse 3, the writer says, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And again, guys, that's overlooked. We, we pay so much homage and so much attention to physical ailments that we neglect the weariness or the faint-heartedness or the depression that many people are undergoing. The phrase, the Lord will raise him up. The bottom line is, one of the names for God in the Old Testament is Yahweh Rapha, the Lord that heals you, Exodus 15, 26. And so we look to the Lord that heals all of us from brokenness, from despair, from sin. And yes, diseases, inflictions is a consequence of the fallen state that we're in. But it also recognizes that even these committed sins that this person who's sick um, has, you know, has in their life. So sometimes, and I've been a part of these times, you guys, also when people have come for prayer, the sickness that they're undergoing was a result of sin in their life. You see this in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 30. So not, so, so James, and we, this is important. James not only promises the Christian will be restored by his or her sins, um, but they will also be forgiven. So there's going to, there's going to be from discouragement to encouragement from unforgiveness to forgiveness, from abandonment to being restored. And so let's not neglect that taking place as, as, as the time comes when God is moving on you or a family member or you've partaken of this or you're about to walk into a situation where you're going to lay hands on people, anoint them with oil and pray for them. Don't just focus on the physical healing because here in Scripture, that is not the main focus here. And then notice what happens. And this is another thing that we have to give uh, allegiance to. And, I, and oftentimes it's neglected. We, we, we assemble, we do the pattern of anointing, we pray, and then we move forward and say, keep us posted. But notice verse 16 is missed. Therefore, based on everything just said, confess that literally in Greek means to admit fault of bad behavior publicly, your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. That means you may be cured. And then here's the famous phrase, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So in context to everything we just said, it is necessary for the weary Christian to seek out forgiveness of any wrongdoing toward another and to pray for one another. 
Now, this could be connected to the person coming who is sick and needing prayer and anointing. Or it can clearly just be between two Christians who are struggling through a difficult time and they're growing weary as a result and they need to confess their sins to one another that they may be healed. And then the prayer of a righteous person. Remember, prayer is connected to all of these things. I'm reminded, and again, I believe that this is where James is alluding to in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, where Jesus says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. The word for healed is referring to the soul being cured. It's a spiritual healing. And the same word, athete, is used in 1 Peter 2, 24, where it says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sins and to live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed, athete. And so this is not just focusing on a physical healing. It's dealing with the emotional and the spiritual aspects as well. Again, from discouragement to encouragement. And if you think about it, my friends, I think a lot of the ailments, I think a lot of the troubles that we have in our lives are because of discouragement, because of weariness. And when it compounds, when we don't deal with it, when we don't take it seriously enough, when we don't go seek people who are mature in the faith, who will pray to God in faith for us and anoint us with oil, if we're not going to confess our faults and our bad behaviors publicly to people who we've wronged, it's just going to eat us away. This is what James is focusing on towards the end of his letter. And then, of course, he ends it with the prayer of a righteous person. What James is not saying is that every righteous person who prays for healing will be healed. Remember, some had little faith and they were healed in Acts 3, 4 through 8. Others like Paul, remember, the apostle, the great man, the great faith that Paul had. He prayed in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, and yet he wasn't healed. And at the end of verse 16, notice James provides three insights, though, about prayer. And this is what we need to be focusing on. Number one, prayer is to be honorable. Number two, prayer is to be fervent. And number three, prayer is to be powerful. That's what our focus needs to be. We need to honor God in prayer. We need to be fervent in our prayers, not flippant. And we need to be powerful in our prayers. And that's not through the, our own weight, our own might, but we are to pray in power because we're praying in the spirit. So we're not to take that for granted. It's like Psalm 107 verse six says, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered from their distress. Or John 14, remember he says, whatever you ask in prayer, ask in my name, that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. We're to persevere in our prayers. And that's what he's saying, the prayer of a righteous person, it avails much. It does a lot of work because it is honorable to the Lord. It's being fervent and consistent and persistent. And it's a prayer of power because we know who we worship. We pray in the spirit. We pray according to his will to be done and there's power in his name. And to top this all off, he gives us an example about Elijah. Remember, James reminds the readers of how God used Elijah. 
how God answered Elijah's prayers, how he did miraculous things. You go to 1 Kings 17, you go to 1 Kings, 1 Kings 18. And yet, Elijah, as we're told by James, he was a simple person. He was no superhuman. And the, the point that we have to understand is you don't have to be some kind of superhero to, to lead people to, to the healing power of God. You don't have to be some type of superhero to, to have this deliverance ministry. You just follow in obedience God's word and you faithfully every day pray. And so if you're suffering, you pray. If you are cheerful right now, give praise and thanks to God. If you're sick or you know somebody in your family or at your church is sick, bring around mature elders, people in their life to pray over them and to anoint them, to bring encouragement into their life. And not to look at other mighty people of God. See, we're living in Christianity days where there's a lot of these celebrity pastors. And we're thinking, man, if I could just have faith or speak like they spoke or speak to people or write books like they write, then God can really use me. Don't look at that. Don't look at that. These are holy men that are models for us. But God will use you the way that he's called you um, to live your life. And you are to be faithful, my friends, to that calling that God has given you. So hopefully... In this passage today, it brought some clarification in your life. And certainly, if there's any questions that you guys have, please drop me an email at info at stanstrongministries.org. I'd love to hear how we can pray for you guys and if there's any theological or apologetic questions you might have. So thank you, my friends, for listening. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at stanstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.